Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. I'm really excited because today they have brought a return guest to the show, and that's Tim O'Rourke. Gentlemen, how are you this morning? Doing well. How are you, Eric? Oh, Doing I'm great, doing, Eric. Yeah, this is going to be fun. I mean, we had a lot of fun the last time on the last podcast. Uh, so, obviously, we're talking wine. There must be a yes, lot sir. to talk about because you brought him back, John. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. The uh, if uh, if you listen to the last podcast, uh, it, it really focused on wine being an asset class potentially as an investment strategy, but also um, understanding wine in general, how it's you know produced and how it grows, and everybody uh, you know different regions have different effect on on wine quality and and, and texture and taste. So today I thought we would do something um, a little bit more light, laid back and fun. And talk about regions. Um, I, I always get people ask me about what's my favorite wine. And if you live in the United States, it's usually I, I love Napa wine, which is which is you know typical. And Napa wine is very good wine. But when I met Tim, if you remember the last podcast, is I he educated me on the, the wines around the world, and particularly France and Italy, which um, some of the oldest wine in the world was made there, and the classic structure of wine is phenomenal in those regions, in France particularly. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna let Tim kind of flow today with uh, understanding the regions of France and why certain regions are better than others, not better, but have different um, wine in general, and I'll, I'll let Tim uh, roll with it. So Tim, let's have a little fun today. All right, sounds great, John. Hey, thanks for having me again. You know, it's interesting too that the wine regions of the world there's so many when we think about it, and a lot of us focus, you know, I started drinking wine out of the Napa area and actually started drinking white wines and how it evolves, you know, what you what you become comfortable with, and then all of a sudden it expands, and next thing you know, you're trying wines from Argentina, from South America, um, from different parts of Australia, and then, of course, you know, the, the primary wine regions in the world are Italy, Spain, are Italy France, Spain, and then the U.S., and the U.S. is is like half of the production of what Italy does. Italy's the biggest wine-producing region. So, as we dive into this, I think uh, we'll bring some clarity to, to you know, how to collect, how to potentially just maybe if you have a hobby, even just drink wine and, and have fun with it. Yeah, it's a good hobby for us, right? Too. We we like drinking wine <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, very productive hobby. <laughs> Well, it's a liquid investment, you know. <laughs> right, exactly. It doesn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> but but let's start in in, in France today, just because uh, you know the history of France is interesting. Cabernet Sauvignon is the most popular grape in the world. Would everybody agree with that? I I, I think. And yeah, I agree. And, yep. and, and and so where it really began was in France and. I did a little research on this because I always found it fascinating, too, that the history of the Cabernet Sauvignon grape was uh, was an accident, actually. It was bred as a combination of the Cabernet Franc grape, which was just growing wild, basically, and the Sauvignon Blanc grape. Somehow they got accidentally bred together by grafting, 
and that created the Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc uh, uh, grape. That's where it actually came from. And, and then from there, from France, it got distributed throughout the world. And um, kind, kind of the history of it is, is fascinating, too, when you get into the different wine regions of everybody seems to grow the Cabernet Sauvignon grape. You know, anywhere you go in the world, you could, you could pretty much have a, a cab uh, a glass of wine from that region. And, you know, even when I, I'm from Missouri originally, and they got Missouri wines that actually use Cabernet Sauvignon. They're grown throughout the United States and, and all the major wine regions, and uh, particularly in Bordeaux, which, which is one I'll talk about first because that's kind of where it all originated. There's five particular grape varietals in Bordeaux that everybody would probably be familiar with, which is the Cabernet Sauvignon, of course, Merlot, Cab Franc, Petit Verdot and Malbec. And Bordeaux is known as a blending uh, region. So they take those grapes in different percentages um, and, and create a wine. So if you're on the what they call the left bank, which is left of the river that flows kind of through Bordeaux, it's the Giron River, it's uh, the, the left bank is primarily Cabernet Sauvignon based wines. And then they're broken down into little subclassifications of, uh, of vineyards and uh, appellations. And then on the right side, it's primarily Cab Franc and Merlot. So that's the basis of the majority of the blend in those wines. And so you have two different styles all in one region. And, and then you have the Sauternes, which are the, you know, the sweet dessert wines. I think, John, we've shared a couple. You know, yes. over the years, we've had some of these, uh, what we would call sweet dessert wines. Yeah, and, very and sweet, and you have to have them with dessert. Right, and that's the reason that uh, a lot of that began. But uh, I'll touch on that in a minute. But anyway, Bordeaux is really this area that has uh, grown in popularity, I think, over the years. And people feel a bit more comfortable, I think, in the United States of drinking Bordeaux wines because they know the, the five grapes all are blended there. And I think you see that in California, too. All right, so you t so you what you're telling us is that the the producers that uh, grow wine in those regions can can mix and match these these grape varietals and and make their their specialty wine in that in that particular producer is is that how they do that I mean is there a is there a model they follow or they just say okay I'm going to add more Cab Franc this year versus uh, Petite is that how they think about you know producing wine Yeah, pretty much. It's it's a freelance okay. up to the uh, the winemaker. And, and uh, a lot of times, most of the places, they identify separately. So when they grow, let's say they have three different grapes blended in, they, they pick the Cab, they pick the Merlot, they pick the Malbec, and then they blend the three after they, um, after they make the wine. So they separate them and bring them together, uh, together for a bottling. And then they store them, obviously, in these oak barrels, as, as you know, um, you know, to get some aging process and also to impart some wood flavor into the wine. So, so it's all really up to the winemaker, John, I think, uh, you know, uh, how they want to make wine differently. Yeah, France is kind of interesting, Tim. You know, I talk about that region. I, I find that the wine is, 
I don't know if it's higher quality. I, I'm assuming it, it is from your standpoint, but it seems like the prices of French wine is really sometimes off the charts. Is there, is there a particular reason for that in, in in France? Is that just because of the quality of the grape? You know, walk us through why certain wines like like uh, Mont Rocher, which is one of my favorite white Burgundies. I mean, you could spend three thousand dollars a bottle on that stuff. I mean, it's and not everyone can afford to buy it, but it seems to be, be very pricey wine. Can you walk us through why it's why it's that way in France? Well, it's popularity. You know, I mean, they have limited amount of production. And when you start getting other regions, uh, I mean, other countries and nationalities starting to buy these wines who have a lot of uh, spendable capital, they, they're going to buy up, you know, a whole area. Like Burgundy is an example. You mentioned $3,000 a bottle for a bottle of white wine. I mean, that's kind of kind of crazy, but... When you think about the small production of a uh, Petard Mabrache, which is a subregion uh, in that particular appellation, when you think about Petard Mabrache or even what they call Mabrache, uh, which is the actual hub of that whole kind of white growing area, you know, there's there's really only three or four thousand cases of wine made in some of these small areas for the entire world. So what they're going to do is bid up the price and. And that's kind of why it's gone crazy in Burgundy and Bordeaux. Yeah, but it's I really think, good, Tim. <laughs> you and I have had some good Mont Rocher, and although not a $3,000 bottle of wine, you don't let me drink at that level. <laughs> but we've had some, some good quality Mont Rocher at between 60 and $100 a bottle, which is still very, very pricey. But it's really off the charts, a quality wine. I mean, it's, yeah, it's absolutely delicious. And it's delicious. so different, You John, have to try you know, it. It's so different from... From Chardonnay yeah. out of, let's say, California or Oregon even. It's it's amazing wine. And I think a lot of this is the subclimates, the microclimates, the, the soil. And, and and also when you think about a wine region like like Burgundy, you know, they, they've been making wine for over 1,200 years. You know, they, they get to know their land pretty well. They get to know the climate and, and you know, when to pick the grapes. And, and so that kind of education is passed down from from father to children to children to children to grandchildren to you know great grandchildren, so many uh, so many generations. You know when you guys think about your business in a multi generational kind of capacity, these people in in wine in wine countries like this really blow your mind when you think about how they pass this along through generations and the same family owns it for a thousand years or something. It's crazy. Is, now, Tim, is that, as I always found that interesting, is that typical? Is that sort of the rule in that region versus the exception? How often do these, uh, uh, this land change hands as time goes on? Do you know? Yeah. It, every, every generation, Michael, you, you pretty much see it happen where, especially in Burgundy, I think what's happened is it's compressed. So somebody started out with maybe 50 hectares. A hectare is 2.2 acres. So they start out with 50 hectares and all of a sudden, you know, they've got four or five kids, let's say. So each kid got 10 hectares and then each of those kids had two kids each. So each of them got five and then two and a half. And next thing you know, you know, a thousand years later, you got people that got two rows in a vineyard and that's where they make their one barrel of wine, you know, just kind of mind boggling. But the, the 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 fascinating other fascinating part I like about France is in the 1800s they recognized actually in Burgundy it went back to the middle um, the Middle Ages pretty much the 
there were monks there, the Benedictine monks realized that depending on the climate, the soil, the vineyard elevation, the sun exposure, kind of John, you know, what we saw in Italy on our trip, it has a huge effect on the, the wines and how it influences the taste. And yeah. so what they do is they, they've classified the land. So they, they'll say this, this plot of land is Grand Cru. Well, that represents a little over 1% of all the, the wine grown in that region. And, and then Premier Cru, you know, is the next level down. And then Village Wines and, uh, you know, what Burgundy, they have Burgonia. So, so they have four different levels in which they classify the land itself. And so that land is very protected almost, you know, for growing um, uh, for the Chardonnay grapes or the Pinot Noir. Those are the two grapes in Burgundy. Yeah, I, I mean, when you look about the region, all the regions in France, I, I, we drink a lot of Chateau de Neuf de Pop. We, we, we try some Rhone wines. You want to walk, walk the audience through, through those, those regions as well? Sure. So Chateau Neuf de Pop is, is a really historical uh, area that w was developed during the, the Roman times. And so the, the varietals there, I think there's 17 different uh, varietals that can be blended into um, Chateau Neuf de Pop. It's, it's in the Rhone region. It's what they call Southern Rhone. So there's kind of a line kind of like the North and the South in the United States, you know, <laughs> in Rhone, it's yeah. divided between Northern Rhone and Southern Rhone. Northern Rhone is primarily Syrah and Southern Rhone is a blend of all these different varietals of which Syrah is one, but Grenache is the primary, kind of like back to Bordeaux when you had the left bank is Cabernet Sauvignon based and uh, Merlot. And then the right bank is uh, Cab Franc and Merlot based. So, so in northern in northern Rhone, it's going to be primarily Syrah, and so all the, the 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 grapes there are focused on, you know, that region, that climate, and it's completely different from southern Rome. It's it's more of a drier climate, and it dates back over a thousand years where the Pope actually had a place there. It was kind of like a summer home, and that was where the name came out, um, Chateau Neuf de Pop, the new house of the of the Pope. And, and they started making these wines really just for the clergy. And then all of a sudden, everybody else started like, wow, this is pretty good stuff. You know, I think I want some of this. And so they expanded over the years. And then they, they classified their, um, their, their, their vineyards into appellations now. And that's kind of how, how it's expanded. And so when you really get into the minutia of these, these regions like Rhone, you'll learn that there are certain areas that that do better because of the microclimate and also the soil of growing these kind of grapes, and they make so. so if you were familiar with wines. French wines, Tim, how how would you how would you recommend a wine from that region for someone to try? Uh, what what would be your first choice, maybe second choice, so they can get a feel on on the on the, the flavor of wines in that region if they're not familiar with it? Well, it's it's Michael. I'm going to pick on you a little bit here, but it, it's like you. Michael likes um, wines from Italy that are kind of Sangiovese-based grapes. So that's uh, Brunello's. And, you know, you know, for somebody getting into wine, I would say that a good place to start that is reasonable would be Rhone wines. And I would go to the Chateau Neuf de Pop 
region that we're talking about because they're That's very really expressive. They're big and yet they're, you know, complicated. You know, when you, when you get a mouthful of this with, with, a, with some food, with a hearty meat or something, or, or you can drink it pretty much with anything, even with cheese and crackers, you know, it goes pretty good. But I would do a Southern Rhone, a Chateauneuf de Pop, and there's different little subregions depending on the kind of money you want to spend, but they're very reasonably priced. No one's really gone crazy, and, and I don't think that whole area has really taken off like uh, like Bordeaux and Burgundy has. You know, to drink a, a what they call a first-growth Bordeaux, you're going to spend coming out of the chute on a new production, which you can't even drink yet because I think it needs a time to age to really get its its full um, expression. You're going to spend 800 bucks and in Rhone on a new release, you know, usually five years old, four years old, you're going to spend about $50, $60 at the most. That's a big difference. Yeah. yeah so, so I would go to Rhone wines. I think though, easier to understand. And, and I think they'd go with a lot of different foods. Well, let's talk about the champagne region. Cause I know everybody always gets confused about, you know, sparkling wines and champagnes. And talk about the champagne from that region, if you get a, if you get a second. Yeah. Um, so champagne really came out of this whole, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's evolved really because the, the wines there, it was, it's a colder climate in France. And so this goes back to Roman times, but they started producing, trying to produce wines up there. And it just never took because they never got the, ripeness out of the grape and and so they they happened across not to you know in the wine pro in the winemaking process you got to stop the yeast from growing which creates the alcohol and also it causes the bubbles of the fermentation process and so the early producers accidentally started making a, a sparkling wine and you know, this, you know, the famous monk, the Dom Perignon, one that everybody's probably familiar with, yeah. you know, they developed this technique and all of a sudden they found out that people really liked the sparkling wines and, and it kind of took off after that. And especially and the Dom. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, awesome. the 2002 isn't too bad either. <laughs> yeah, we had that a couple of months ago. It was off the charts. Very good. Yeah, really crazy. But, but it's a fun region to visit, uh, visit if somebody has a, uh, the, the time and the inclination to go over there. I think, you know, everybody's probably heard of Vuclicot and there's some really Bollinger and Krug. Um, there, yeah, Krug, of course. Um, there's, there's a lot of um, history in that area and to go in the caves and, and get down underneath the earth because that's how they stored wine years ago is they built these caves uh, 20, 30 feet underground so that they could keep the ambient temperature consistent right around 55 degrees. And they found that to be the best way to make wine, keep it, store it, and, and, and you know, last throughout the years. I remember we were in Italy, went to Contrano uh, Winery. And I believe, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, they had a million bottles of yeah. white sparkling uh, wines on the, on, in those cellars. I mean, yeah, it was it was amazing how many bottles of wine down there, and it's 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 pretty it's pretty good um, sparkling wine from Italy, but it was fascinating to see how they turn it. Um, that there's a there's a champagne turner where he's hired just to turn the wines to keep it keep them uh, moving and shaking and growing. Do you remember the name of the basement. guy? What did they call him? Oh, I couldn't name it, but he was a fast. He was he was a funny guy. He kept smiling. They call him the Riddler. The Riddler. It's called Riddling. <laughs> 
Yeah. That's where the Batman thing came from, I think, sometimes. But they, they come in every day. They used to hand turn a quarter turn. Now they have some modern techniques of turning champagne bottles, but that's the old traditional way. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch them do this, too. You know, like when we were underneath uh, there at Contrada, we, we, the guy did a demonstration how quick he moved through a whole rack, you know, the Riddling yeah. rack, how they had the V thing set up. It was, it's fascinating, but, but we, we, you have to see it to believe it that, uh, that these, these, uh, these wineries have storage capacity that's unbelievable, especially in, in these top regions. Um, well, just in Champagne alone, they I mean, get a hold of this number. They produce 200 million bottles of Champagne. Sheesh. Wow. But you can't call it Champagne unless it's from the Champagne region. It has to be correct. called sparkling wine, correct? In every yeah, region. They, Okay. Yeah, they, uh, a lot of, you know, 40, 50 years ago, everybody tried to put out a, in, in all parts of the world, a, a wine they called champagne, but there, there were a lot of lawsuits over it, and they finally claimed the brand and, and ability just to keep it to champagne. So if you see champagne on a label now, you're pretty much guaranteed it's going to be from that wine region. Yeah, they also blend champagne, am I correct? I mean, it's, it's a Chardonnay grape, but they also have a Pinot Noir blends. You want, you want to walk a little bit through that? Why? Certain producers do that. Is that because it's from uh, a, a producer that, that chooses to, to mix uh, a different grapes, or is it or is it a standard procedure over there? No, they have, they have a choice, just like in Bordeaux or you know okay. even in California, how they can make blended wines. Uh, they they make blended champagne. So um, you know the the Pinot Noir grape, which is a, one of the primary ones there, and obviously the Chardonnay, and then Pinot Meunier. Those are the three primary grapes there and they use the Pinot Noir sometimes in a higher quantity to make what I would call kind of a pinkish color or a rosé and the longer you keep those skins uh, in the fermentation process the more color it imparts into the champagne but but um, those are the three grapes and they blend them basically according to tradition and also according to whatever the winemaker feels is the best blend for that particular year and and just like wines um, in other regions, champagnes are only, uh, vintage champagnes are only produced in the best years. And if they don't have the best year, a particular winemaker won't make a 2008 or a 2009 or 2010 or whatever year it might be. They might uh, just blend it all into what they call a non-vintage. A non-vintage is typically three different vintages blended together to get a consistent flavor. So Vu Clicquot does this a lot. When you buy a, a Vu out of the grocery store or a wine shop, what you're buying really is a blended champagne over three different years. That the And they're trying to keep the flavor profile the same from non-vintage to non-vintage each year release. So it's, it's, it's really uh, uh, another kind of level of wine. But if you get into what they call the Blanc de Blancs, that, that means the white of whites, the, that's 100% Chardonnay champagne. And that has a completely different uh, profile yeah, flavor to it, too. And, 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 and so you've got these, you've got a wide you know, range of different types of champagne you can drink uh, uh, w- with different blended grapes. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of sweeter uh, uh, champagnes as well um, versus the dry. I, right. I prefer the dry and I prefer the blend. <laughs> That's my that's my flavor. That's my palate. Yeah, I like the Blanc de Blancs too. I think some of them are. Yeah, I know you've awesome. had battles about that. 
Hey, yeah. hey, Tim, can I go back to something you said a little earlier, kind of a rookie question here, uh, if, you'll, if you'll bear with me. But you mentioned turning the wine bottles. And, and I think, if I'm correct, that most of the time that's more important to do with the sparkling wines. Am I correct in that? And if, if so, why not for other types of wines? Will you, do you not need to turn the bottle? Yeah, yeah, Michael, that's, that's a good question. So what they do is they actually put a, remember the, the soda pop caps that they put on sodas in the United States? Right, they, 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 they do the yeah, same that's thing. That, that's before my time, Tim. <laughs> that's kind of, it's kind of like before the cell phone. The, 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 so what they do is they put a bottle cap on the top of these uh, champagne bottles, and they don't put a cork in. They put a bottle cap. And they, they turn the, the wine so that the cap is on a 45-degree angle down, and the bottom of the wine bottle is, is up. And so uh, they rotate these every day a quarter of a turn because the yeast and the sediment inside the champagne, they want to move it around and slowly get it down uh, out of liquid form into sediment until it gets in the neck of the bottle. And so they only do this with champagne because they want that exposure and that sediment to drop and then turning it moves it around slowly over about a month to two months and, and they get it into the neck and then when they, they, they get it out, they actually chill the neck and take the cork off and the, the, the sediment all comes out. And then you pretty much got a, what they call a clarified champagne bottle ready to go. And then they put their cork in. The cork they use is pretty similar from the cork tree. And it, as you know, it blossoms up on the top. That's, that's basically because of the pressure. And they put those caps on there with a tie for security because those things can be, those things can yeah. be dangerous if you're not careful. Anytime you open a bottle, just for disclosure, Never pointed at anybody. I've seen a couple go off and almost took a person's head off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's important. So, but, so it's only for the champagne, or excuse me, sparkling wine, where that's Correct. needed. So if people yeah. out there turning their, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon bottles, not necessary, in, in your opinion? No, I don't think you need to. I think you can just let that set. It, it doesn't hurt. You can move them around every now and then if you, if you feel like uh, it's going to make a difference. But... The main thing in collecting wine, I think, is keeping the temperature consistent, whether you're at 55, 60, 65, 70 degrees. I wouldn't go over 70 if you can, but you don't need to really turn it. You just need to keep the temperature consistent and keep natural light out of uh, any of your storage units. You don't want sunlight going in. It, uh, it does, you know, the UV can, uh, can actually harm the grapes because it is a living organism inside those bottles. Ted, before we end, is there any other wine from France that we need to just mention that could be a choice for someone to, to, to try? Yeah, I, uh, there's some wines out of uh, the Loire Valley in Provence that I think are, wor are worthy of, of looking into. I think there's a lot of wines that, um, that are made in France that you can try and very reasonably priced too, John. Uh, um, uh, Provence wines can be under twenty dollars, and um, the Loire Valley the same thing, and there are different grape varietals grown there, so so there's a lot of uh, 
uh, of Rhone kind of varietals that are popular there, Grenache Blanc, uh, Marsan, Vignet. I think a lot of people may have heard of a Vignet instead of a, a Chardonnay or Saw Blanc is grown there, a Simeon, those kind of grapes. Uh, I think Provence is a great region to go and visit if you're going to make a, a trip over to France and want to hang out and, and, and see, get outside of Paris and see some of the countryside. I think that's that's a great choice. If you drive all the way over to Bordeaux, that's that's kind of a, you know, that's a long haul to get to. It's not easy to where I think from Paris you can get into Burgundy and Provence and Loire Valley. And uh, you, know, you can travel to some of these regions pretty typically um, uh, in, in, a, in a shorter period of time and, and really taste some great wines. And what, what I also find great about France is you... The, the food there is absolutely incredible with the wine and the, the, the food changes to the wine region. So the food is kind of adapted to the wines, which we're going to, uh, which we saw in Italy too. That same thing is Northern Italy compared to Southern Italy. You know, if you're in Sicily, the food style is completely different from Northern Italy. And the same thing in, in France, I think you're going to see a, a wide variance of different types of restaurants and and uh, heavier sauces, lighter sauces, depending on the wine region that you're in. All right, Tim, we're going to cut this a little short uh, today. I mean, thanks for your time. I, th I think it's fascinating when you, when you think about wine from these regions. I, I know you and I have enjoyed, enjoyed a, a, a bunch of this wine. I think for pe you know, people who listen to this podcast, you know, give you, you, know, you do yourself a favor. Try some different wines from different regions, and, you, and you'll fall in love with with some of them. I mean, I, I love the Madoc. I love the Mont Rocher and the Chateau de Neuf de Pop. I mean, they, those are my favorite wines from that region and I enjoy them all the time. Tim, I wanted to thank you for your time today. In the next uh, uh, podcast, we're going to focus on Italian wines. I think, I think thinking about region regions and talking about certain regions will educate people that, that are listening that you know, it might motivate them to try wines only because of the, of the um, mystery behind them, I guess, for lack of you know, better, better terms, but, but I wanted to thank you, Tim, for your time today. And it's always a pleasure. And, uh, I guess I'll see you next time. Uh, and make sure you bring some good wine next time you stop by. All right. Deal, man. Thanks so much. <laughs> Thanks, Enjoyed man. it. Thanks. Take care guys. All right. This has been fantastic. And, and after we're done recording today, Tim, if you could just kind of remind John, I remember last time we got together, you told John there was a certain wine he should send me. And I think we all forgot about that. <laughs> <coughs> just, oh, I uh, did. just saying. Uh, anyway, oh, I but, did. Uh, I forgot. Shame on me. It's COVID. It's COVID. <laughs> it's COVID. Blame COVID. Uh, again, great information. Eric's been very quiet uh, the last you know half hour or so. He's been looking back and listening to his just, old podcast trying to that's remember right. if we if we owed him any wine. <laughs> That's right. I've got my list. All right. Uh, thank you guys so much. This has been fantastic. And of course, the last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you for tuning in and listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. 
The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Copper Beach is not affiliated with American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc., a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Inc., an SCC Registered Investment Advisor. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of American Portfolios Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolios Advisors, Inc. Any opinion expressed in this forum is not the opinions of American Portfolio Financial Services, Inc. and American Portfolio Advisors, Inc. and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy.